Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. All right, let's get to our guest. Isaac Poole is with us. He is the global CIO at Oriana Financial Services on the line from Melbourne. Isaac, thanks for being with us. Tough markets to try to navigate these days. A lot of confusion being displayed in the bond market as to whether or not we're headed to some kind of recessionary pressure here. What's your take? If you look at the bond market, what's the message? Yeah, I think it is. That's right. These are very, very volatile bond markets. And right now, I think they're trying to show a very big consensus that the Fed is going to keep hiking until they hit a recession and then they're going to have to pivot and cut. And that's what we uh, what we see in the shape of the, the futures out towards 2023, a big hump. And there's lots of rate cuts. And I think uh, that that's hiding perhaps a, uh, a an alternative view that the Fed will get to something that's around neutral. And I think that's somewhere around three to three and a half percent. And then pause, not pivot. And so it's not just a matter of hiking and cutting, pivoting. There is a pause in there that could happen. And, uh, and I think it's a tension between those who are expecting a pause and those who are expecting a pivot that is driving so much of this volatility. Right. Isaac, David here. And I guess the, the easy thing to do if, if, if the pivot was the, the accurate thing was to simply do nothing, right? But I, I guess under the other scenario where the Fed remains high and inflation remains relatively high, what, what's the investment strategy? Because that doesn't seem to be the middle ground that people are talking about as much. No, it, it isn't the middle ground. But I think actually uh, whether there is a recession or whether there is not a recession, uh, government bond yields at the moment are, are offering a pretty good opportunity in the sense that there's income mm-hmm. on offer. You know, there hasn't been for many, many years. There's downside protection against the recession. But if the Fed does pause, if inflation remains a little bit elevated, the drifts lower, and I think that's, uh, that's quite likely, then, uh, then bond yields can sort of trade sideways within the range for, for a year, maybe uh, a year and a half. And, uh, and that will leave them uh, delivering pretty good returns over, over that period in a way they just haven't uh, in the last six months. So there's a real opportunity there to, to rebalance it. Really, the opportunity presented in June to rebalance back into duration, into government bonds, add them to the portfolio and, uh, and benefit from the, uh, the, the, um, the both-way nature of that, of that trade. So what does that mean for the equity market? I'm trying to understand. Are, are we in a period particularly where the U.S. is concerned where we may be a little overbought? I think that um, we've, we've definitely seen a big move driven by that, uh, by that move lower in, in duration. Lower yields have helped growth, and, uh, and that's been a driver of the big rally we've seen so far. But also, 
alongside that, the, the economy has been pretty resilient. Inflation has translated to better earnings than I've been, that have been expected. And uh, I think if, uh, if the, the Fed can pause and extend this, uh, this cycle a little bit, you're going to get upside surprises through 2023. And, and that means it probably isn't a bear market rally, as, as the broad consensus is suggesting, and actually something that could be quite durable. I, I don't think we're going to see 16% gains every, every uh, four weeks, mm-hmm. but, but we could continue to see returns push higher over 2023 without a big bear market. Isaac, let's maybe turn our attention to this part of the world here. I mean, there doesn't seem to be at least any strong case to be long China at the moment. Do you see otherwise? Or uh, is there anything else that, that, that you see perhaps as you know, just reason for caution right now? I think if you look in the rearview mirror, there's uh, there's not a lot of positivity in in China. The the economic data is bad. The uh, the COVID situation is bad. It's uh, it's difficult to uh, draw any other conclusion than it's probably in a recession. However, you'd like to define a recession in, in China, and and that's uh, that's being baked into into prices for China. It's underperforming a lot. I think looking out over the next. 12 to 18 months, there, there perhaps is some upside there when, when you consider we're, I think, through a recession there. Um, and, and that's going to come through COVID policies being relaxed, not not this month, not next month, perhaps after the uh, National Congress at the end of this year. And, uh, and there is upside to economic growth from the levels we're at now. And I think that hasn't been priced into markets. And so, and so there are genuine opportunities in, in Chinese equities at the moment. Because it's such a critical part of the equation when you look at the region, I'm wondering, does that necessarily mean you're, you're bearish on the APAC region overall right now? I think, uh, well, right right now, it's it's the case that the broader region has been dragged down by, <clears throat> by China. It's been dragged down by rates moving higher in the U.S. and by the U.S. dollar strengthening. Uh, oil prices being high up until recently, and all of those are sort of a, a trifecta of bad news for the, for the region. And, and it's not surprising that there's been such strong underperformance, both in the currency and in, in the equity markets. But but we are seeing the region genuinely opening up now. Uh, we're, we're seeing travel come back through. The, uh, the, uh, the borders are opening up. Supply sides are starting to improve, supply side disruptions. And, and again, I think if, uh, if you buy into the idea that China's economy will recover through 2023, then, then that does provide quite a lot of scope for, for the broader region to ride onto that. The, the fly in the ointment to that argument is if the US enters a deep recession next year generated by the Fed hiking too much, then the game's over. And if you're going to see the, the region really suffering in that environment. Is, I mean, juxtaposed again against, and we're talking about what you just mentioned there, say equities in the region more broadly, against the, you know, the, the bull or bear case in Europe, what do you think looks better? I, I think um, Europe is out on its own as, as a place with structural issues that are certainly not helped by the cyclical impact of the war in Ukraine and higher energy prices. Uh, the impact that's having on consumer confidence, and, a, and a, a central bank that simply will not hike as much as the market would like, and, and will probably underdeliver on on rate hikes uh, in, in terms of front loading them. So, uh, in, in our view, Europe is in a void uh, and and is likely to underperform the rest of the world o- over the the near term and, and probably over the next eighteen to twenty four months as well. So, I may have some salve for you. 
Crude oil, it was down big here in New York uh, by more than 3%. Looks as though we are inching towards some type of uh, nuclear deal, the West with Iran. If there is the resumption of uh, kind of Iranian exports here and we see crude make a move, let's say, sub $80 a barrel, that would be WTI. Does it change your outlook in any way? It it definitely helps, uh, I think, if, if we can see oil prices I'd say normalise to around $80 $80 a barrel or so and and sit there for for the next 12 months. It's going to help not just Europe, it'll help the rest of the world. It it will bring headline inflation down and and give some breathing room to, say, the ECB and the Bank of England as well for that case, in in a place where they're really at the moment caught between a rock and a hard place. And and I, I do think, I do expect oil prices will settle around there I just think that there's uh, there's been a momentum that's going to be difficult to stop in in Europe, uh, in in slowing growth and a real challenge for its equity markets. Isaac, very quickly here, let's bookend this. You, you we started out by you saying you know go duration and government bonds. So let's say three point one percent on Treasuries. Do I take that on the two year or the thirty year? I, I think uh, right now I'd be looking. Um, I'd be quite comfortable with taking it at the front end because I think you could see a bit of a rally there over the next six to 12 months. Interesting. And yes, uh, th- that seems to be a non-conviction call, a uh, contrarian call at this point in time. But yes, Isaac Poole, thank you so much for joining us, Global CIO at Oriana Financial Services. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.